You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. Well, I am Glenn DeGeek in Ocala, Florida. And I am Rich Muller from Centerville, Maryland. And you are listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for September 28th, episode 3274. Good morning, horse world. And now, from the man cave at the Horse Radio Network, the monthly Horse Husbands episode. This one is for you guys. No horse women allowed. Hey, we are back. I'm so excited to be back doing a Horse Husband episode once a month. We're going to be here on the fourth Thursday of every month. I have a new co-host joining me who we're going to meet in just a second. But first, on this episode, we have a fun guest for you today. He is actually a horse husband now. He was a horse brother to start with. And in the middle there, for three years, he rode with the Royal Household Cavalry Mounted Regiment in England. So he's led quite a life, has a lot of stories to tell, and we're going to hear all about him. But first, and also, by the way, for auditors, he's hanging around for the post-show and telling stories he didn't tell us during the regular show. But I have my new co-host, who I have known for a long time. His name is Rich Muller. Hi, Rich. Hi, Glenn. Thanks for doing this. I really appreciate it. No, no worries. Now, we met on the first Horse Lovers Cruise, right? Yes, we did. That's where we first met. And you were there with Mogies, your your wife. And if I remember right, she was a listener, has been a listener forever. Yep. Longtime listener. She loves the horse the horses in the morning show. Did you listen ever or did she make you listen at any point? Uh, I listened once in a while. Um, enjoyed a lot of the Christmas episodes. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Cool. Look, look forward to hopefully helping out with some of those in the future. Yeah, that, we got some coming up, so we'll definitely be doing that. And, you know, you also may know Rich, regular listeners to the show may know Rich, because he has a daughter who is hosts the fitness episodes here every month by the name of Kayla. So, Kayla, you know Kayla. Rich is Kayla's dad. So, when you heard her talking about dad, that's Rich. Yep, that's me. <laughs> and everything that was wrong and all the bad stuff was Rich. Terrible dad. <laughs> <laughs> now, Rich, we're going to talk to you a little bit later on in the show, but you you guys grew up in California, right? Or you you right. basically, Kayla grew up in California. Yeah, well, yeah, Mogi and I both uh, were born and raised in California, and Kayla's from my first marriage, um, best daughter I could ever think of having. And I agree with that because she's also, as you know, a great friend of ours, and we love Kayla. So, so you did a good job bringing Kayla into the world. Okay. <laughs> Thank you very much. Now, from what she says, though, there were some rough patches in those teenage years. I think. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. She was yeah. a little rebellious at times, like most teenagers yeah. are. So, you actually are a rider, though. We'll talk about that more later in the show. So, you've gone from from uh, rider and pony club and all of that stuff to then kind of not riding as you know as most people do when they have kids and that kind of thing. Uh, and then you're definitely a horse husband now. Uh, and and a horse dad. So we're going to get into all of that a little bit later in the show. But for new listeners, the Horse Husband episode is dedicated to us, horse husbands, and the traumas and tribulations we go through being married to you. That's what this episode is all about. Now, you heard the disclaimer at the beginning of the episode that horse women are not allowed to listen to this. So if you're a woman right now and you, you are not a horse husband or a horse spouse— Okay, you know, it could be reversed. Um, Then you need to just turn it off and you have nothing to listen. There's nothing to hear here. Um, We are very kind to all of you the entire time. So it'll be boring for you. Everybody else, you definitely want to uh, keep listening because our first guest is, is absolutely terrific. Tell us about our first guest. Our first guest, his name is Giles Housen. And he is married to one of my wife's students, Jill Housen, and they live in Washington, D.C., 
And Giles has a ton of stories to tell about his horse history. Well, hey, Giles, thanks for joining us. We appreciate you being here. You're very welcome. I'm delighted to have been invited. Thank you. So you grew up in rural England. Where? I did. I grew up uh, halfway between Birmingham and Manchester, basically, sort of about three hours northwest of London. Was your family horsey or just a certain member of your family? No, it was just my sister, actually. And, uh, you know, she was a a, a typical sort of teenage girl that just developed a love for horses. And uh, did you think it was ridiculous? No, not ridiculous, um, <laughs> but I, I, I couldn't quite see why she would spend quite so much time you know, polishing and cleaning and, and grooming and scrubbing. Uh, but it, so it did, seem, it did seem a little strange, but not ridiculous, no. Did you ever ride at all when, when your sister was doing, doing the horsey thing? Yeah, I, I, I did. I tried it. I tried it. She had a really, really mean... Uh, Shetland pony called Goldie, uh, and uh, Goldie had a had a, a mean streak a mile wide, and uh, I think I once got on Goldie. I must have been probably, I don't know, maybe seven or eight, and uh, and and Goldie sort of took off with me around the field and threw me off into a barbed wire fence. So that Ooh. may have had something to, yeah. So that yeah. may have had some, something to do with me not being particularly enthusiastic about the whole thing. <laughs> So, so the whole the whole Goldie Pony thing that was Kayla's first pony's name. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, my daughter. My which, daughter which was, was that Goldie as naughty as his Goldie? Uh, yeah, pretty yeah. much. Yeah. <laughs> we have a trend here. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a pony thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, do you still have scars from the barbed wire? No, uh, no, I, I, I don't. I don't really remember it. I have a very, very vague recollection, but I don't really remember. It. No, thankfully, no, uh, no, no, no last, lasting scars. <laughs> so then you went off. Uh, by the way, you went off to become. You joined the British Army, and you did that to drive tanks, which is ironic because my wife's brother, who eventually became a Green Beret, was a was a tanker for a long time. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. I mean, that was what uh, that was what drew me dear to the army was the um, obviously the you know the opportunity to serve, but but in particular, my regiment, uh, my unit of the army um, was a sort of reconnaissance tank uh, unit, and that's what sort of initially appealed to me. Although, of course, I didn't know about the other side, the mounted side, but it wasn't the main driving reason why I initially joined. Because the tank unit's called the Cavalry too, right? Yes, yes. So uh, in the British Army, our old cavalry regiments of, of you know, of yesteryear, um, you know, from the Battle of Waterloo and all that stuff, um, the, the cavalry regiments, when it quickly became apparent that, that horses um, – when not much use against you know machine guns and so on and so forth, the cavalry regiments then became and turned into the armored regiments, but they kept their sort of traditions and um, the various sort of accoutrements of the uniform. So you know, in a dress uniform, you know, cavalry officers still wear spurs, for example. Um, and so, yes, a lot of the cavalry regiments that have been in existence for you know three hundred plus years are still in existence now in one form or another. And they now spend their most of their time driving tanks. But my regiment was, is really the only one that still has a, a mounted ceremonial unit. And it is only ceremonial um, these days, of course. Well, that, that leads me into, well, one, one, did you like driving tanks? Oh, it's great. I mean, it's every, it's every boy's dream. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's really, really good fun. Um, <laughs> And uh, and sort of you know, driving across the prairies of Canada or the or the through the forests of Germany or wherever we wherever we were, um, you know, it's just, <laughs> you're a bit at least in, in in the UK and Europe, you're a little limited about where you can drive them. Yeah, right. uh, whereas obviously, yeah. Where, whereas obviously here in the US, you know, you've got the whole Mojave Desert and everywhere else uh, out here. I think it's Fort Irwin, California, where the where the um, the US Army. Uh, yeah, the U.S. Army drives its its tanks uh, where the space is almost limitless. It's, um, 
It's funny because Jennifer's brother went from driving tanks into the Green Berets, so I think he got tired of the confined spaces and ended up jumping out of airplanes instead, you know? Uh, <laughs> so how then did that transition, did, did you end up in the Household Calvary Mounted Regiment? Well, um, so as I said, the, the regiment I joined, uh, which is the Household Cavalry, the sort of the bigger group, uh, had sort of two units within it. One was the armoured tank unit and one was the, the mounted regiment. And the enlisted soldiers would go back and forth quite regularly, uh, often, you know, every two or three years. And occasionally they would sort of uh, specialise and they would either stay more with the uh, armoured side and or more with the mounted side. Um, but the officers, and I was a commissioned officer, the officers would um, tend to do the armoured side first um, and then uh, many would then be given the chance to to go and do a, a, a tour of duty, which would be anything between sort of two and four years with a mounted veteran. Most officers would only get to do it once or twice. I, I only ever I only did it once, uh, but it was a, the most extraordinary sort of three or four years. Um, and uh, it was you know a pretty fundamental part of of what my unit does, and so I wanted to. I, I wanted to participate in that. So, you know, I, I could say that I fully participated in everything that my, that my uh, regiment uh, did. Um, and it was also, you know, immense fun, but it was also quite, quite a challenge as well. Oh, we all watch uh, all those parades with the, with you guys in your red outfits. And there's always one or two horses that doesn't want to be there. I mean, it's in every parade you watch, you're always watching for those yeah. horses. <laughs> <laughs> that's right that is that is very true and the you know the, the, there were lots of sort of techniques built you know over the years from years of experience of people doing this about how we would deal with that and and everything from you know we would make sure that the younger horses were assigned to the more experienced riders even to instructors uh, the the equitation instructors so that the young horses could be brought on and if they did play up on parade, then there would be someone you know, skilled, very skilled in the saddle. Um, but the main way we dealt with it was we would just exercise the horses a lot. Um, I think they you know, reduced the feed a little bit, you know, gave them a few, uh, you know, um, fewer oats that morning or whatever. <laughs> and, um, and we also would exercise them very, very early in the morning um, just to get some of the crazies out. Uh, and most of the time um, the horses were, were, were pretty good. Uh, the, the 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 way that but also their training also helped with that as well and i i remember distinctly in the indoor riding school which is right in the middle of knightsbridge in london which is um you know sort of prime real estate but there's a huge indoor riding school there and they would get all the young horses uh into the indoor riding school and uh, they would then have the band the, the military band uh, show up with cymbals and drums and trumpets and they would stand in the middle and the horses with instructors on the back, um, the, the so-called remount riders, uh, would be just be going around in a circle. And then the band would just strike up and make the most god-awful din. <laughs> and it was just bodies everywhere. The horses would go absolutely <laughs> ballistic. And it was it was literally like being at a, at a, at a sort of um, you know, at a Texas rodeo with uh, instructors trying to cling on as these young horses. <laughs> but anyway, slowly over the course of the uh, of the, the uh, session, the horses would get used to it. And, and then, you know, so getting used to be able to ride on the streets of London with the traffic and the noise and the shouting crowds and also the military band um, uh, was quite a challenge. But, uh, you know, there were some sort of, uh, sort of tried and tested techniques for, for making sure that hopefully – that people stayed on top and didn't get embarrassed. <laughs> now, you you really, obviously, you rode Goldie, but you hadn't ridden much to this point. What kind of training did they give you uh, to, to be able to ride in that parade and not die? Well, uh, that's a really good question. Um, so I spent the best part of six months up in um, Melton Mowbray, which is in Leicestershire, which is, as I think I mentioned when I uh, um, sent you some information, uh, is in the sort of heartland of, of sort of English fox hunting country. Um, and that's where the army has its equitation school. And so I spent basically six months, you know, six and a half days a week, um, riding anything from two to four horses a day, you know, probably, you know, five to six hours in the saddle every day, uh, learning 
something, you know, learning to ride, being taught by some really, really good instructors, um, including one fellow who uh, became the riding master or the sort of chief instructor of the House of Cabaret. He's now the he's now the performance director of the British eventing team. So I mean, there's some really, really good instructors. Um, and we were taught both sort of civilian riding uh, and also military riding, which is quite different in that the the horse furniture is quite different. The saddles are very different. The, the, the army still uses a, a, a saddle that was designed in, during the Boer War, which is in South Africa in 1902, I think. This is the standard army saddle, still made this, to this day, fitted to every horse, um, and uh, it was designed, you know, for military purposes. Um, so, um, so, and then we also learned how to do, uh, you know, manoeuvres, essentially sort of cavalry manoeuvres. Um, and we learned, you know, to do manoeuvres to military trumpet calls, which of course is terribly anachronistic now. Um, but that's how we learned to do it. And then, and then eventually, we would uh, sort of graduate uh, from what it was called khaki ride, um, as in, you know, khaki, the colour. And khaki ride was the, the sort of culmination of the basic horsemanship and, and equestrian skills. And that would um, culminate with an inspection, make sure everything was polished and clean and you know, very clean, more clean than you could possibly imagine. And uh, it would end up you know, with us going down a jumping lane um, with no stirrups, no hands. Uh, as you as you went down a jumping lane, you'd have to take your jacket off and shout out your name, rank, and number. So you know, by the end of it, you'd got pretty good. Um, at least they're not falling off. Um, and then we spent a month or uh, six weeks or so uh, in London doing what was called kit ride, i.e., le- almost learning to ride again in the shiny, fancy kit that you see on TV that you referred to earlier. And what do they call example, it? Do they have a name for that outfit? Yes, they do. It's called it's called um, mounted review order. Uh, what did you guys the, call it? Uh, just uh, just the, the kit. Oh, the I kit, figured kit. you'd have some derogatory no. name for it. <laughs> like, no, 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 no. no. Um, it was uh, so it was it was known as, and that's why the, the 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 training period was known as kit ride. And you spent six weeks learning how to ride again. For example, the big boots that you see, the sort of big thigh high leather boots they're incredibly thick and they're also solid that the leather is hard because to get them to shine like that you have to essentially melt beeswax into the boot from top to bottom inside and out well mm. not sorry not inside the boot but on the on the inside leg where your where your um yeah. calf touches the horse um not the inside of the boot but um so they're literally solid they stand up on their own and they're about i don't know half an inch thick, three quarters of an inch thick. Not much contact so, there. Huh? <laughs> exactly. And that's my point. So it, it, it's, it, you know, you, you learn, you almost have to learn to ride again. You also, um, uh, we only ride on, we ride on one hand with, um, with four, you know, with four reins, with two sets of reins. And so you would ride um, on a, on a bit rein, but you'd have a curb rein. I think, I, I think it was called with the curb chain that essentially was your emergency brake, but you would ride on a bit rein, and so you're, it's a bit like, I, I guess it's a little bit like riding with a, a, a polo pony. So you've got four reins in one hand because your other hand, of course, was holding a sword. Right. Um, uh, so you, you had to, you know, that sort of six weeks, you almost had to learn to ride again and to learn to ride in the helmet as well, which is pretty damn uncomfortable um, right. to get it right. So it, it was a pretty involved uh, process learning to learning to ride and being essentially deemed ready for ceremonial duty. Very amazing though, that you can learn to ride that well in six months. I've ridden all my life. And I think what you just said you did in six months is incredible. My, my, my riding instructor who, who uh, the fellow I mentioned um, earlier on, his name is Dickie Waygood and he was the warrant officer at the time. And he always described my particular riding style as agricultural, which I don't think was meant as a compliment. Yeah, I, so, was, list, I was listed as, as mechanical. I mean, I, perhaps a similar, uh, <laughs> perhaps we have similar riding styles in that yeah, case. I could get it done. <laughs> it didn't look so well, but I could get it done. Yeah, uh, and and so um, you know, not all the. Uh, I, I wouldn't say that you know every single soldier 
an officer in the House of Cavalry, you see them looking terribly smart there. Yeah. Um, and they've definitely been through the ringer and they've, and they've you know, passed the test. And, uh, but not all of them, myself included, um, are necessarily the most gifted uh, natural uh, horsemen, it must be said. So it may look terribly impressive. Um, and, and you're right, it, it, I should take some, some credit. Um, but we weren't all turned into, you know, into uh, William Fox Pitt, you know, in six months, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. What was your, do you remember what your first, like, official parade was through town? What it was for? Was it one of the state visits or something? Uh, the, the very first one, I think, actually was the, the state visit of Nelson Mandela. Oh, to wow. London in 1996. Yeah, were you um, terrified? Was, I mean, you must have been terrified. Um, no, no, no. I wouldn't okay. say terrified. I, I mean, I had a job to do, and it was you know there was a, a lot of rehearsal at ridiculous hours in the morning. Um, you know, we'd be in the stables ready, you know, to, to to muck out the horses and get everything ready at two, and then we'd be on the horses by four, and we would rehearse till six because we had to do it. Um, uh, you know, before the traffic, yeah, the commuter traffic in London, it would be literally like it would be literally like trying to do it in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. Um, taxis and buses and everybody going to work, so we had to be back in the barracks by you know six thirty in the morning. So we trained very hard and practiced very hard. Um, so no, I wasn't terrified. I had a very very steady horse uh, um, uh, called Nutmeg, if I remember rightly. Um, and uh, so no, I wasn't. I wasn't scared, but it was. It was certainly that the enormity of the occasion was not lost to me. It was because, you know, Nelson Mandela had only been released from prison in South Africa. Gosh, I want to say, you know, a couple of years before, two or three years before. And this was his first state visit as president of South Africa to, to visit the queen. And it, it yeah, so the, the, the enormity of the occasion was not lost on me. And I, you know, um, and so to be involved in that was, was really very special. Yeah. The security level must have been really high. For that. Well, yes, I mean, as it is for all the state occasions, but you know, there's a there's a limit to what you can do on, on public streets with you know, hundreds of thousands of people. I mean, Nelson Mandela, you know, of course, we're an enormously popular global figure, and so he drew the crowds. Like, I don't think London hasn't seen crowds like that in you know in years, um, and so you, you know, you can only you know you can only sort of protect yeah. the, the 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 queen and, and so on you know so much um on public streets with hundreds of thousands of people lining the streets not you know not 10 yards away from the carriage as, as the carriage drives down you know down the mall in, uh, in in the middle of london so um yeah it's it, it, it but, but yeah the, the, that was an extraordinary occasion that will stay with me for a very long time was that your most memorable one you think um, well, uh, yeah, I mean, they all, were. I mean, there weren't that many of them, so they all tend to stick in the memory for, for, um, for their own reasons. And as an example, the following year, I want to say it was probably 1997, we, again, the queen invited the emperor and empress of Japan to come on, a, on an official state visit to London. And that was, um, very controversial. No, Emperor of Japan had ever been on a, a state visit to London, or certainly not since World War II. And in 1997, there were still many veterans of World War II who had been um, held captive by the Japanese during World War II, with all the, the um, you know, with, with all the sort of implications that 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 would suggest. And so, riding down the Mall, I was probably I don't know six feet away from the Queen's carriage on the, the rear right wheel, I think. Um, and just trotting along, and the the atmosphere was so different from mm. that during the Nelson Mandela visit just a year earlier or nine months earlier, whenever it was. Um, you know, the contrast was extraordinary. There were veterans who were turning their backs and booing and hissing, and the crowd was very um, sort of somber and almost kind of quite moody and all, uh, not threatening, but certainly quite sort of moody and dark. It wasn't the extraordinary sort of outpouring of joy and enthusiasm for Nelson Mandela from a year earlier. So it's very, very different. So yes, everyone was memorable in its own way. And you did that for how many years? Uh, It was about, including the training, it was about three years or so. And then you were back to tanks? 
uh, actually not actually back to tanks. I went, I went back to Bosnia. Um, you know, I went straight to, to, to Sarajevo, um, which the, now the war in Bosnia had finished by then, but, um, there was still sort of, you know, lots of stuff going on. And I was sort of part of the, um, the, uh, the, you know, the NATO, um, force that was helping, uh, to secure peace in Bosnia. So, I mean, the contrast, uh, <laughs> you know, the, 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 the contrast was, um, you know, it was really quite, uh, you know, quite, quite extraordinary going from sort of trotting down the mall, carrying a sword in a, in a, in a tin hat, um, to, you know, dealing with local sort of Bosnian commanders on, you know, minefields and, and, you know, return of refugees to their, uh, pre-war homes and all that sort of thing. So, I mean, that was one of the things that I loved about the army was that it just threw you into extraordinary situations, um, and made you pretty flexible and resourceful and resilient. So um, that was just you know another you know a, 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 another another job, but you know with its own set of challenges. Giles, how did you and Jill actually meet? Um, she told me a story that I think she said that you guys had common friends. Ooh, that's right, we did, and still do. That they're still friends. Yeah, yeah. 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 And so she said that uh, she told me a story a few weeks ago that uh, it's, it was kind of funny and whatnot that she, you know, that you, you guys were kind of introduced and whatnot. And I guess you asked her to go for a ride, which she thought would be a pretty cool thing to do. And she thought, well, maybe this guy might be a good guy to, you know, to get to know. And I guess that must have been the ride at Hyde park. Possibly. <laughs> Or was there a yeah. ride? Well, we, we, we'd already been dating a few months by that stage, okay. Uh, okay. maybe three months. But okay. yes, it was. It wasn't. The, it wasn't the first date. But okay. we were. You know, we weren't serious at that point. Yeah, yeah. And then she said, "Yeah." And then after that, there was no no rides after that. Well, that's what happens. <laughs> that's what. <laughs> he got the girl. He didn't need to ride the horse again. <laughs> So I don't know if that's exactly what happened, but that's that's the short version that's of what she, she tells told it. Me. And I, I kind of wanted to find out what the whole story was. That did she tell you the whole story? No, I don't think so. I think that was about it. Oh, really? Because there's another bit of that story which I okay. don't think she'll mind me telling. So okay, so, too yeah, late so now. We, been, we gotta tell it. <laughs> so we we've been dating, you know. Uh, two or three months and, and you know i sort of told her what i had done in my sort of previous military life and she she had a, a sense of what it was but perhaps not entirely and anyway fast forward to um uh i would have been around sort of christmas time or so new, new year actually around new year's time um for the millennium new year 2000 or, yeah 99 going to 2000 and um so we went to england's Scotland for the, the new year, which is great fun. And, you know, and we had great fun with friends, but while we were there, we, I, cause I'd only just left the, 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 well, I was still in the house of Karen, but I'd only, I'd only left the, the mounted regiment in London, you know, a year or two before. And I knew everybody there still. So I just called up one of my old guys and said, Hey, can you, can you fix up a horse for me, to, uh, yeah, for me and, and, and a friend and you, and sure, no problem at all. So I took her for a hack, around Hyde Park and um, I rode my old uh, charger, my old um, horse, uh, one of them, and she rode a horse. I happen to remember it was called Uxbridge and uh, which is an Uxbridge was a, a relatively young, but, but very sort of steady uh, mare. And so we went for a nice hack around Hyde Park and, and which is a great privilege. It's a great treat to do that. Yeah. And all the buses and commuters and bicyclists are all coming through the high, coming through the park. And, and then the, the horses know their way around the park. So when they t- turn around the sort of you know, the top corner ready for the sort of finishing straight, if you okay. think, if you, if you like, um, they know that they're heading home and they know that they often get a little bit of a canter and they also know it's breakfast. So that they get quite excited because it's you know breakfast is is, is in the, is you know is in the air. Um, anyway, Jill's horse something startled. I don't know whatever, and and she fell off. Oh, um, no. Thankfully, <laughs> uh, right yeah, right there in the middle of Hyde Park, and <laughs> thankfully um, she held onto the reins, so she didn't embarrass herself completely. She held onto the reins, dusted herself down. And uh, and she was covered in what they call tan, which is sort of a bit like sort of the sort of shavings you put on the 
the, the floor of, a, of an indoor school, but it's 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 um it's called the tan. And it goes it's like a path that goes all the way around Hyde Park. Yeah. Um. So she was covered in tan, <laughs> tan. But she held onto the horse, got back on, dusted herself off, and 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 on we went back for breakfast. But she was. But of course, as she rode in, um, all the soldiers, um, you know, who I knew, they were all sort of you know, che- che- checking her out, and to, and they could see obviously that she <laughs> that she was covered in dirt. Yeah. So that she, she so she'd obviously come off at some point. Um, and anyway, she and I laugh about that, and I, I'd never forget it. And now, of course, the world will know. It, okay. She never told you that, did she, Rich? No, she didn't. You didn't hear that part. <laughs> no, no, that's that's what I wanted to hear. Uh, I, I wasn't, I wasn't going to mention it, but she, I mean, she raised it. I mean, yeah, she, it's know, her fault. I mean, I, I, I mean, for historical accuracy, I have to tell the whole story. <laughs> yeah. Well, I do have to put out. She rides side saddle also, which. I do not know how anybody rides with both legs on one side of a horse. It, it, it's amazing, isn't it? And, and she is so elegant when when she does it. Yeah. And she's yeah, she's really really taken to it. And and yeah. uh, I mean, and she goes hunting side saddle yeah. as well, which is yeah. which I think would be absolutely terrifying. But yeah. um, but uh, yeah, it's it's really impressive. I mean, she's even taken part in a race. She did a race uh, side saddle at one of the um, the yeah, point to point. Um, yeah, I think I saw pictures of that. That was that on Aurelius. I think it would have been on Aurelius. Yeah, yeah, uh, probably four or five years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah um, that was I the think, horse. Thinking, we knew him as Marcus. Our uh, one of our vets owned that horse before Jill. That's right. Yeah, that's right. I remember that. So, um, well, we're going to yeah. run out of time here shortly. So I got to ask you, Giles, riding anymore? Do you ride anymore? Are you back to being a horse husband? Uh, I'm afraid I, I don't ride anymore. The last time I rode was about five years ago. Jill put me on a friend's horse and we just went for a, a canter around a field and it was great fun. I really enjoyed it. And, and I, I do miss it. Um, I mean, it's a chapter of my life that, that, uh, that, you know, is you know, forever sort of etched on my memories. You could probably tell. Um, but no, I don't, I don't ride anymore. And, um, I am, yes, I am a, a long suffering horse husband. Well, I, well then we're going to ask you the horse husband questions that we ask at the end of every interview. Oh, These are okay. rapid fire. Okay. There's, there's five <laughs> okay. of them. Uh, what chore do you hate the most in the barn or with the horses? Um, well, I don't do any of them. <laughs> there you go. That's a good answer. Uh, <laughs> so, so none of them. Okay. Well, then number two is what one thing you refuse to help with in the barn, and that would be everything. So there you go. It's perfect. Who cooks? Uh, uh, who cooks? Yeah. Um, uh, we both do. I cook more at weekends, but um, yeah, and Jill perhaps more during the week, but we okay. both do. Yeah, because eighty percent of uh, the que- time we ask that question, it's the husband that cooks. What is your? What was or is your pickup? A, uh, truck brand of choice for Dodge Chevy. Uh, Jill uh, has a GMC. Oh, okay. We do too. So I should add that to the list. <laughs> and what advice would you give to someone considering a relationship with a horse girl? <laughs> <laughs> Run the uh, other way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I I just say brace yourself. <laughs> there you go. That's a good one. Actually, that's a good answer. Giles, you've been a delight. This is so much fun to talk to you today. Thank you for joining us. We really appreciate it. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me on. Even under the best circumstances, travel is stressful for horses. We've all been there, stuck on the side of the road in the middle of nowhere. You can make the journey knowing that U.S. Rider is there for you. Get peace of mind on the road with U.S. Riders nationwide 24-7 roadside assistance coverage for both you and your horse. Join today at usrider.org. Words and Rider On Demand allows you to train smarter, not harder. Our training video collection featuring some of the industry's top Western professionals like Bud Lyon, Cody Crow, Ryan Rushing, and more can help you perfect your horsemanship and improve your performance in the arena. Get access to hundreds of videos and learn more about events like ranch horse versatility, reining, working cow horse, ranch riding, and more for just $14.99 a month. Watch anywhere, anytime. Horse and Rider On Demand can be streamed from any smart device. Visit ondemand.horseandrider.com to start your seven-day free trial. That's ondemand.horseandrider.com. 
So let's learn a little bit more about you. You actually, as you mentioned, we're in Pony Club, right? Yes, correct. I was in Pony Club. I think I joined around 10 years old. Was it for the horses or the girls or both? Uh, it's more for the horses. Okay. Um, my sister rode horses and, well, I grew up riding horses. We had horses as long as I can remember. And my sister started riding English and then jumping. And I was watching her and I thought, well, I can do that better. <laughs> I wasn't any good at sports. I couldn't throw. I couldn't catch. Had really good balance. And I loved riding horses. So. I started taking lessons and then was introduced to Pony Club. And my mom basically drove me 45 minutes every other Saturday, I believe it was at the time, and to Pony Club up in Fresno, California. And uh, that's where it all started. You were in the Bay Area? No, I was in the Central Valley. Okay. I, I wasn't yeah. sure where you were at the time. Yeah. yeah. So well, did... Did you Bogey st- lived in the Bay Area. Ah, did you li- did you keep with it or did you quit at some point? No. Well, I um I stayed with Pony Club through the age of eighteen, and and I got to the whole the high level of C three. Okay. <laughs> A is <laughs> the highest my- level for those that don't know. Yeah, yeah. no, it wasn't the highest level. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's mid mid range. Actually, David O'Connor, I think, graduated as C three from Pony Club. Well, yeah. So you're in good company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So. yeah. Then you went off to college and all of that? Uh no, I uh went to trade school, started chasing girls and mm. thinking that the girls that didn't ride were they didn't pay attention to horses all day long. Mm. So that perhaps they'd pay more attention to you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. That, Did that work out? Uh well, actually, well, I got married and um, Kayla came out of that marriage, so that was a very good uh, outcome. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so, so, but at the age of twenty six, I decided I wanted to start riding again. My parents at that time they had racehorses. My parents had racehorses as I was growing oh, up. Oh, cool! And, and uh, my dad used it as a tax write off for the orange farm, orge orchards. And you grew up on an I, orange orchard. Yeah. Did you yeah, get to ride had... between the rows? Oh, yeah. Oh, that yeah, was I fun. Used to, I used to hack my horses and train between the going up and down and across neighbors' properties and whatnot to condition. That's every girl that's listening's dream is to ride through yeah. long rows of an orange orchard. Yeah. 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 Well, you had to, you have different ones down there in, in Florida, but um, yeah, in California, they were similar. But, um, you know, I could go five, six hours. Wow. Through, through, just through the orange orchards and whatnot. And then some of the farmers got mad. Um, <laughs> a lot of them didn't care, but other ones did. They said the dust hurt the oranges. But so, the fertilizer was good for them. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, but when you're galloping and kicking up dust, yeah. they, they didn't like that. So, and I'd always pick their drives that they had fresh sand on. So, <laughs> did you, Do you remember what, what was your first horse or pony? My first horse was named Donnie. I do remember him. And I got stuck in the mud with Donnie. Really? <laughs> you needed a tow truck to pull him out? <laughs> uh, no, he got, he got out by himself, but I started crying and my mom was up on the... It was, I, I went down into a levee, mm. into, a, into a canal um, off of a levee bank and got stuck. And uh, it looked like it was dry, but it wasn't. And he got stuck and I started crying. My mom said, just hold on. He'll get you out. And yeah, he did. So <laughs> he was, a, he was a good horse. A thoroughbred? No, he was actually a um, saddle bred. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. My, my parent, my mom had friends that bred saddle, saddle breads and we got a bunch of their cast offs. Ah, gotcha. So, so as a child, uh, we had, I think we had three of their saddle breads and then, we bred a couple horses and had some foals and stuff. So, yes. now, did you I, have I, siblings? Did I? Yes, I have a brother and a sister. Did they get into horses? Were they into horses well, too? Well, well, my, as I said, my sister was. She was very active, and she uh, and I said I could do it better, and she did. But um, 
and I did go higher level than she did. But um, my brother, um, he was not interested in horses very much at all. Um, I mean, he helped out and everything and stuff, but he became a fighter pilot. Oh, there you go. Well, that's not too oh, shabby. Yeah. And then he retired as that, and now he's a, a nurse and lives in Alaska and is retiring as a nurse. Oh, so wow. You, you met him on that second. That's um, right. I did. Yeah, I forgot yeah. about that. You guys yeah. cruise a lot. Do you do a, what, you do blues cruises, don't you? Yep, yep. And we're doing one this March. Um so that's, that's why I'm not going to go on the horse lovers cruise. Yeah, uh, because you're doing your old blues cruise. Yeah, thing. yeah, and I can't, I can't, I can't afford uh. more cruise. <laughs> so then later on, you 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 had met Mogi and Pony Club, but you got after your divorce, you got back with Mogi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I started riding again at 26, and I was taking lessons from Mogi's brother, and then Mogi and I kind of. She was married and going through a divorce and whatnot, and then. We decided we'd start dating, and then I told had to tell Mogi's brother I was wasn't going to take lessons from him him anymore, <laughs> and that Mogi was going to give me lessons. <laughs> <laughs> and how many years have you been married now? Yeah, uh, and that well, we got married in 1993. Okay, so it's been a while. And yeah, so we we started dating in 1990, and got married in '93, and then Kayla was not living with us at that point in time. But uh, I think it was two years later, we got custody of Kayla. And so Kayla came to live with us and, you know, we were kind of a horse family and I kind of feel guilty because I don't feel Kayla got the best childhood because she was drug around to horse shows and, You know. Oh, okay. But now <laughs> she's dragging her husband around to horse shows. So, yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, that, and, or he's off driving the truck and doing building arenas there yeah, I mean, and everything. Now, but, you guys, you live in Maryland now, right? Correct. Yes. On the Eastern Shore? On the Eastern Shore. Yeah. yeah. Do we, you have a horse now? I do not have, well, I have a horse, but I don't get to ride him because I weigh too much. Mm. So, he's so, a little guy. Yeah. yeah. No, well, he's a little fine. Fine bone thoroughbred. Mogi was riding him, but she's uh has some hip issues now, and so her working students are riding him and having a great time on him. Mogi's so. really in the horse world. She has is she certified now as a as a course designer in, in she, cross country. Yes, she does uh, course designing uh, up almost through the FEI level. And is working on, I forget what the last level is she's working on. Uh, So she has a test test coming up here in October, I believe. That's pretty incredible. There are very few of them around, actually, and they were needed. And she she took on the challenge and has been been working on it many, many years. Yeah, yeah. She does uh, courses in South Carolina, Florida, um, Maryland, uh, New Hampshire, and... um, and I think in Delaware too. So. That's so cool. That is cool. I'm glad she's doing that, and she seems to enjoy the heck out of it. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. so that's neat. Well, we're glad to have you on this show and helping out, and we'll learn more about Rich as we go on. Where this show is going to be once a month, and uh, you know we like to do some fun stuff on the show too. And I love lists, as everybody knows. Yeah. So I put a list together. These. Uh, this is what. I, uh, you know what? Jennifer has her headphones on, so I can do this. Um, <laughs> these are what I put the top 10 perks of dating and marrying a horse girl. Mm-hmm. So this is kind of my list. Um, uh, you know, so it's just my opinion. But that's what this show is all about. <laughs> yep. So we'll see if you agree with these. Uh, one, number one, you can cancel your gym membership as you will be getting plenty of exercise around the farm. Cleaning, mending, fixing, chasing, repairing, building, etc., etc., etc. I really can't cancel my gym membership because I have to cook too much <laughs> and then I tend to eat too much. There you um, go. Are you the cook in the family? Uh, pretty much most okay. of the time. All right. um, and I cook all the wrong things mm, that I shouldn't be eating. Mm-hmm. All the things that Mogi needs to eat. Cause she's so thin working with the horse. Mogi's skinny as a rail. It yeah. just makes you so, sick. But, but cleaning, mending, the mending and fixing that that's a big thing and repairing building. I'm not so good at the building part, um, but repairing and fixing 
vehicles and trailers, trucks and trailers. That's my main, my main thing. That that keeps me busier than anything else. I'm not so good at that part, but the building and repairing and fences and stalls and things like that. I'm good at that part, but not not so much the mechanical stuff. Yeah. I can't, I can't put a piece of wood together. (laughs) (laughs) We're doing this new property and uh, we're having the barn put up, but we're just having a, as people do down here, we're having a metal barn put up and then we're building all the stalls and everything inside. And even the house, we'll put the kitchen in and all of that because we know how to do that stuff. But yeah, you've done a great job on that. Yeah. I just, I, I do like doing it when you have the time to, it's like anything else, Rich, when you have the time to do it, it's fun. Yeah. Yeah. Cooking is so, I love cooking when you have the time, when you're rushed, it's a chore. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Number two on my list. You don't have to lie about blowing off work to go to the track because she'll go with you. Yeah. Basically. If I, if if I could go to a horse show or something like that with her, she's happy for me to go. Number three. And again, these are the dates or the perks of uh, dating or marrying a horse girl, tight fitting mm-hmm. breeches. And that kind tight of speaks for itself. Yeah, yeah. Even when, even when they're dirty. Yep. That's right. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's one of the things you learn very quickly when you start dating a horse girl. Yep. Even when um, they have grass stains and everything on. <laughs> number four, horse girls are very strong. You'll never have to worry about opening that stuck uh, jar lid again. Nope. <laughs> so true. I can't tell you how many times I did that. Um, Number five, horse girls tend to not be clothes hounds or wear tons of makeup. So you'll save money there. Now, I wrote this and then I thought about it after. And I think they actually spend more money on horse clothes for themselves. Yeah, horse clothes. Yeah, Yeah. breeches and whatnot. Mogi wears them out like because basically when she's out riding and everything, she's wearing them daily. Okay, I crossed that one out. I think it's a wash. Um, yeah, makeup, you're right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Number six, they tend to fall asleep early, so you'll have the remote to yourself after 9 p.m. In my case, 8 p.m. She's always in bed by 8. So. And uh, not in my case. Mogi stays up way too long. Oh, you're not working her hard enough. Um, <laughs> and then she wakes up in the middle of the night and looks, stares at her phone. <laughs> <laughs> Number seven, they are easy to please. A new manure fork, a pair of paddocks, or even a lighted hoof pick will make them happy. Yep, or new, our new set of tires on the truck. Yeah, uh, all that bedding, uh, yep. shavings. <laughs> I mean, shavings, or, or, or the tractor fixed. Or hay in the barn. All that stuff <laughs> yeah. makes them happy. Yeah, hay put up in the barn is a big deal. Now, this one started happening for me. It's the reason it's on the list, because it started happening for me during COVID, and it stayed that way. You can save money on haircuts. They are great with clippers, and Jen does mine every month. So, Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, Mogi won't cut my hair, but right now I'm not cutting it, so it's... Oh, so you got the mullet look at this point? Uh, no, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> Horse girls are not afraid to get dirty. That is so true. And then that my final true. one, and you're all going to appreciate this one that know what I'm talking about. Have you ever seen the two-point position? Correct. Just saying. Yeah. And that's my reasons. Do you have any to add to the list there? Not that I can think of. You pretty much covered it all. So... All right. But you have to put, you have to put up those sweaty and smelly girls. So. Yeah, and you know we did mention the cars earlier. Too, yeah, yeah, the cars. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> and the yeah. saddle pads in the washing machine. And yeah, and yeah, all, all yeah. We've been stuff. doing a lot of that. So. Yeah, but if you have some, I mean, if your horse husband, not you, meaning you, you know who yeah. you are. If your horse husband has some to add to the list, then let us know. Uh, drop well, us an what email. I would, what I would suggest is that most horse. Horse husbands, if you can get a washer and dryer to put out in your garage rather than have your personal washer and dryer, that helps a whole bunch on the smell of your clothing. Well, that is true. Yeah. What do you do for a living anyway? Um, I'm a Mercedes-Benz certified centralized diagnostic technician. A mechanic? Is that a bit fancy name it's, for a mechanic? It's basically, I'm a mechanic, but I, <laughs> I deal with all the technical issues and whatnot. Um, I work on all the new cars that have uh, computer issues. And You're a geek. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But, well, that's cool. Yeah. You know what? And, I, you know, we always say, J- Jamie and I always say, hey, look, not everybody has to go to college. Go get to trade school right now. Yeah. You're going to make yeah. more money to do if you go to college. Yeah, yeah, it it does, but boy, we're, you have to deal with a lot of problems that hurt your head. <laughs> Mostly the people, not the cars. Probably the people. Well, I luckily I don't have to deal so much with the people. Mm. It's I have to deal with the cars, which don't talk to you. Um, 
it's kind of like a horse basically too. <laughs> you know, they don't talk. You just have to figure out how to make everything work without uh, working too hard. It's well, like I, Mo- Mogi always says with the horses, you don't make the, you want to make the hard things hard, but you, and the easy things easy. Got it. That makes sense. And that's true of anything in life, right? Yeah. 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 So you don't want to, you know, the, the horse, you know, with horses, they just, they tend to, you know, want to, you know, try to make your life hard. And so if you can make the easy things easy, the right things easy, you got to make the right things easy. And then, you know, they'll give up on the, on the bad things. So, well, before we wrap up the show today, I wanted to play something for you that we haven't played in six, seven years in this show. And uh, his name is Craig Quartermain. He's a horse husband and also a stand-up comedian from Australia. And he has a set that I know a lot of you have heard uh, and seen on YouTube. But he was also a guest on our show back on a horse husband episode back in October the 25th of 2018. And uh, he talked a lot about this. So let's listen to what he had to say in one of his stand-up comedy bits. Horsey girls are the toughest women on the planet. Think about this. They're strong like gymnasts. They ride 600-kilogram beasts. A horse crippled Superman, for f***'s sakes, okay? (laughs) And these girls, they get thrown, they get kicked, they get bitten, and they just get up and they go again because they've got this one little pathological tick. No matter what happens, it's never the horse's fault. I've seen a girl get bitten on the neck by her horse and she just goes, ah, I should have fed him sooner. (laughs) It's insane. My wife got kicked in the face by her horse. Split her top lip, broke her nose, two black eyes. She's out cold. I run into the paddock to rescue her. I put my hand behind her back and she comes to and just goes, I shouldn't have snuck up on him. (laughs) It's insane. Now, look, it's great that she's got a passion. I'm glad she's got something that she loves. I'm trying to be a supportive husband. I really am. But I got enough shit to deal with as an Aboriginal man married to a white woman without taking her to the shops. He's holding up a big nose sign. <laughs> big kick in the face. The looks. People, the looks. People look at her and they're like, <gasps> they look at me and they're like, mm. Yeah, they didn't blame the horse either. But while all this is going on, this socially awkward, horrible situation is happening and I just want to hide. My wife is limping up to people in the shopping center going, yeah, nah, shouldn't have snuck up on him. (laughs) Thank you so much, St. Helens. He was a fun interview. If you want to listen to that, I'll put a link to it in the show notes. And we need to get him back on because he's done a couple more bits about it. So, uh, yeah, we're going to get, I'm going to try and get him back on for next month and see how old Craig Quartermain is doing down there in Australia. Thank you, everybody, for joining. Thank Rich for doing this. We'll be doing it again uh, the fourth Thursday of next month. Uh, Thank you, all the horse husbands, for listening. And we know none of the wives did. So, uh, we appreciate you guys listening and tuning in. If you're an auditor, you can hang around for the post show we kept uh, giles a little overtime and asked him about the very important things when it came to being in part of the royal cavalry <laughs> and we'll get to that in a few minutes thanks rich you're welcome glenn thank you very much